Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. If you'd like to follow along, today's uh, scripture can be found in your pew Bible on 1628. It's taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. God is good all the time. There are a lot of pinks and purples this morning. I look like Easter eggs out there. I mean that in the nicest Christian way possible. I want to welcome all our visitors. We're glad to have you with us. Um, you know, this particular Sunday I know is one of the most attended Sundays uh, of any church. And it's because if you look at your calendar this last week, you'll observe that there was the Jewish Passover, which was at the same time that Jesus was crucified. And so that following first day of the week, Sunday, is when he rose from the grave. So we have an idea that we're actually uh, celebrating an anniversary of sorts. But one of the things that I've been often asked by people is, why do you believe in the resurrection? Because without it, there is no Christianity, so why even believe in it? And I would just say, look outside, right? You're seeing all the flowers and the trees and the perennials start to bloom again, and they've been dormant for a while, haven't they? So you can say that nature supports the idea that there is a resurrection, though Jesus being the only human, it having been done to, uh, aside from all the ones that were commanded by him and the apostles. So I think you look at nature and you can see that, yeah, the resurrection is not very far-fetched. And because we believe in God and we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of resurrection as well. Paul put it a certain way in 1 Corinthians 15, he said that those that are dead will be raised. They'll receive new heavenly bodies. I don't know what that entails other than what is said in 1 Corinthians 15, but it'll be remarkable to find out. And he said those that are present when that happens, they will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Again, read 1 Corinthians 15. You'll see more about this resurrection body versus the earthly body that we actually have. Several years ago, I had a voicemail on my telephone, and so I listened to it, and it was my Aunt Judy. She told me to call her because something had happened to my mother, and Mom was in the hospital. And she said, we're not sure if it's going to be real bad or not. So I called her, and, you know, hey, what's going on? And she said, they think your mother's had a brain aneurysm. And she's in the hospital right now. We're waiting on the surgeon to get here, but we don't know what the outcome's going to be. So I got off the phone. I called Stephanie called one of my elders and I hopped in my car and I hightailed it about an, what would normally take about two hours. I managed to do in about an hour and a half. You can draw your conclusions why. I'll just say God didn't put much traffic in my way. Uh, but I get there to the hospital 
And I get to the floor where she is, and I find my aunt, and I say, okay, where is she? Right now she's back in, in surgery. And, uh, okay, what have they told you? We don't know. We don't know if she'll make it. We don't know if she will suffer permanent brain damage, if she does survive. And so all these possibilities were being floated. It was really scary. Luckily, now I can look back on that, that event that happened a decade ago. My mother's still alive, and God had blessed her and those who cared for her. But in that moment, when you're only given this news, it's really, really scary. And if you have anything to do, you just pop into action, right? My first thing was to call and let Stephanie and my elders know. My second thing was to get in the car and to get there. Third thing was to get there, find my Aunt Judy, find out all the information that I can. And you just, you, you try to occupy yourself with doing what you can do until it's no longer in your hands. But there was no warning for this. It was one of those all of a sudden sorts of things. And we've all had those things happen in our life where sudden tragedy or bad news comes in and we have to respond and do something. And maybe there's really nothing we can do. Now, imagine if instead of it being sudden and last minute, if somebody came to you and said, a month from now, you're going to be in a car wreck. You'll lose consciousness for a while, and when you come through, you're going to be in horrible pain. And it'll be a while, and when folks get there, you'll have these bones broken, and the doctor's going to try and fix you and put you together. So I just want to let you know that this is what's coming up. I think I'd rather it be last minute than to know ahead of time. Could you imagine the agony and the anxiety you would have knowing what's coming now think about Jesus. The entire purpose that the Son of God came to this earth was for the moment that He would be chastised and crucified on the cross for the sins of the world. And He had been telling His disciples and His apostles that this was coming. In Luke's Gospel, He told them three times before it actually happened. He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, when you read a little bit after that, they, you know, the disciples are like, what's he talking about? What, what, what does this mean? And so they don't, they don't like, well, okay, well, just doesn't make sense to us. We don't understand it, but we'll go on. And he tells them a second time. Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now, you and I read these words, they're very plainly put, and we look at the disciples and we go, why don't they understand what he's saying? And I think it's because of preconceived ideas that they had about who and what Jesus would be and do. The final time he told them, he took the 12 aside, he said to them, behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, all things that are written by the prophets according to, concerning the Son of God, the Son of Man, will be accomplished. For he'll be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spat upon, and they'll scourge him and kill him. And the third day he'll rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Again, we look at this and we say, these are very simple, plain words. 
How do they not understand what he's saying? So you go back and you understand a little bit of their history. A little over 100 years ago, the Seleucids had brought Judea and Jerusalem to heal, and they were running things. A lot in Jerusalem had become no longer Israelite, but had become very Greek. And they start taking this Hellenization, that is the making of their Greek culture, to the outskirts. And when they get to the outskirts of Judea, they encounter a priest by the name of Judas Maccabee. Judas Maccabee is not having any of it. So he gets a bunch of folks together, those who are very devoted to the law and to the ways that uh, the forefathers of Israel had handed down, and they fight. It's like a guerrilla warfare. And eventually, this small band, this little army, expels the Seleucids from their homeland. And for a hundred years after then, they live as an independent people. Until just a few decades before Jesus is born, the Romans come and they say, you now belong to us. So they remembered that Judas Maccabee, what he had done, and they remember the prophets and the promise of an anointed one. And so this is what they're looking for. They're looking for a Messiah, which means anointed, the Christ, same word in Greek. They're looking for this guy who's going to come and raise up armies of God, expel the Romans from the land, and establish the kingdom forever. They're not expecting him to suffer and to die. So that may be partly why they're really not getting what he's saying. But as things go on, Jesus is now on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, Gethsemane means olive press. The Mount of Olives, olive press. So that was a specific location on the Mount of Olives. You would gather all the olives together and there's this huge circular thing with a stone in it. You'd pour your olives in there and it had little holes. And so you would roll that stone around. It would press the oil out of the olives and then they would capture it from there. And, you know, olive oil. And they, I have a goat named olive oil, as a matter of fact. Uh, but I have not pressed her, so... That has nothing to do. I'm sorry. That's my squirrel moment. Um, and so he's right at that place where they would have pressed the olives. And now at that place, he is being pressed by what he's about to deal with. So what does he do? The first thing that he does, he goes about a stone's throw away from his disciples and he kneels down and he prays. Here lately, there, have, there has been this false dichotomy thrown out by many people that say thoughts and prayers don't work. I, well, they say it's time for action, and, and I get that, but I, I, to say it's one or the other, that's the false dichotomy. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And one fella, much more smart than myself, Ignatius of Loyola, he once wrote, pray as if everything depends on God, work as if everything depends on you. In this moment, Jesus has but to pray. And what he asks of his Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And he's speaking of the cup of suffering. You remember possibly the James and John some time ago, one wanted to be seated at his right hand, the other at the left. And he said, are you worthy to drink the cup from which I'm about to drink? And they said, yeah. He said, well, it's not up to me to give the right and the left to whomever. But the cup of suffering is the cup that Jesus wanted the Lord to take away. But 
He concluded the prayer as we should with all of ours. Not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes we misunderstand prayer. We think that prayer gets our will done in heaven. That's not how it works. Prayer gets God's will done on earth. And God can answer prayer several different ways. Whatever you do, don't take your prayer theology from Garth Brooks. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. The answer may be yes. The answer may be no. The answer may be not now. But prayers are always answered. Just because they're answered the way we don't want them doesn't mean that the prayer was unanswered. But Jesus first commits himself to God in prayer. And so we pray to God, we do what we can, we trust Him to work in it. I'll put it this way. Uh, pray as if everything depends on you, work as if everything depends, uh, uh, excuse me, pray as if everything depends on God, work as if everything depends on you. If you lose your job, you are not going to sit in your living room and say, God, please give me a job. You may do that, but you're also going to go out and put out resumes, faith and works. Faith without works is dead. So yeah, just to pray and to not follow it up with actions, yeah, that's not exactly all that God intends. We observe Jesus' prayer in His humanity, and what that prayer says, I do not want to go through what I'm about to go through. And that's understandable. Who would? And He knew this, and this is why He is in agony in the garden. Yet, He bowed to heaven's will, he surrendered. Not my will, but yours be done. In Greek mythology, there is a titan by the name of Atlas, and he was condemned to hold up the world, the heavens or the sky. And depictions of him show just that, he holding up the whole world, and you might say he had the weight of the world on his shoulders, for the lack of a better term. But when you look at what Jesus is going through in this moment, it is Jesus who has the weight of the world on his shoulders. You and I are often also weighed down by concerns and cares. And maybe some of you go, well, life is pretty good right now. I don't really have a concern or care. That's great. Be sure to thank God that life is without its complications for the moment because anything can change. But for those who are weighed down under the burden of worries, uh, something that may be helpful to do is in the face of those worries, count what blessings you have. And we can count many, but that isn't to deter from the weight of what we may be facing in the moment. Because we can't ignore those things that are upon us that really weigh us down, that steal our joy, that cost us sleep at night. Sometimes it's so overbearing that our minds are caught in a trap and we cannot see anything but that problem. I always love it when people think they can solve it and they say, hey, don't worry. <laughs> Wish I'd have thought of that. Thanks. Problem solved. Not really. A few years ago, Kenneth Allen was flying a small chartered plane that only held nine people. And while he was flying this plane, all of a sudden he just, he goes unconscious. And one of the passengers nearly behind him you know, tries to rouse him, tries to, you know, wake him back up because none of them know how to fly a plane. And so noticing that he was unconscious, he took his headphones off and he's calling to radio control uh, the, the tower. He's like, hey, our pilot is out. 
and I don't know how to fly this plane. None of us do. And so the air traffic controller is talking to this guy, and he's like, so what's wrong with him? He's unconscious. And so he says, okay, listen to me, and I'll tell you what to do. In the meantime, they're trying to locate where the plane is. He's, he said, where are you? He's like, I don't know, up in the air? <laughs> this, that's the transcript. I'm like, I love that guy. That's exactly what I'd have said. I'm up here somewhere. What do you see out your window? Well, I see the ocean and the beach. Okay, hold still. We're going to try and locate you. So they finally locate where they are. And the air traffic controller says, okay, I'm going to put on someone with you who's going to take you step by step what to do. And so he says, okay, press this button and descend to an altitude of 5,000 feet. Do this to your rudders, flaps, and whatever. I'm making this, I don't know. Is rudder and flap a part of a plane? Sure, we'll go with it. And so he says, okay, now as you're going to land, here's the place where you're going to land. We've cleared the space. Here's what you do. You descend, you pull this back to so much, you pull that lever. And once you land, you're going to hit this, you're going to back off, and yada, yada, yada. And so this guy who had no training for the difficulty that he was facing was able through the instruction of someone who knew better to successfully land the plane. And then you hear the air traffic uh, 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 discussions going on and the one who had been on, he said, no, that was one of the passengers that landed the plane. And you hear the, uh, another guy, he goes, that was a passenger that landed the plane? He said, yeah. He said, man, he did a great job. So, okay, complications sometimes demand that we turn to the one who knows better than us all. I don't know how to fly a plane, and maybe I don't know how to navigate the difficulty, but I can turn to Scripture, I can turn to God in prayer, and I can trust that He will provide in the moment what it is I need most. Because sometimes in our pride and our arrogance, we say, I've got this. And sometimes maybe we do got this. But there are many, many times we think it and we learn that we don't. It reminds me of one of the lines of a hymn that I love. When the author says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I've got nothing. And many times... Just as Jesus was willing to surrender to the will of heaven, just as He bowed under the will of the Father, we too, in life, in difficulty, must surrender to God. Give it fully to Him. Many of us, once upon a time, surrendered to God because we heard that good news. And let's, let's clear something up. The good news of Jesus Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 4, through four, consists of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the good news. A lot of times people today want to make the good news some sort of pop psychology and be like, hey, you're crushing it. Jesus blesses you. Jesus never said, come unto me, all you, all you who are crushing it or killing it, and I will give you rest. He said, come unto me, all that labor and that are weighed down. And I will give you rest. So rather than making the gospel about something positive, uplifting, and 
all that stuff that sometimes people want to do. I think if we look at the message, the death, burial, and resurrection, we will see the positivity. We will see the good of what God has done. Now I want you to notice, if your Bible's open to this passage, I want you to notice something, particularly in verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Uh, This is actually a medical condition. It's rare. It's called hematidrosis. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't even play one on TV, but I was reading about it. And what that is, hematidrosis is when the capillaries, those small blood vessels, burst and that blood just spills into the sweat glands. And so when a person sweats, it appears as if they're sweating blood, literally. But when you read about it, this is brought on by, quote, you ready? Excessive mental anguish and anxiety. Now, I've been anxious. I I have generalized anxiety disorder. Don't like it, wouldn't wish it on anybody. Maybe you don't have it, but there have been moments that you have been anxious or you've been weighed down. But I look at my anxiety and when I've been worried and I go, you know what, I've never sweat drops of blood. It's never gotten that bad. But also something to know, the effect that this has is it makes the skin very sensitive. And then let's consider what comes after this. They come, they arrest Jesus falsely, right? Then they take him before the Sanhedrin. They have a sham of a trial. That was illegal, according to Jewish law, every which way to Sunday. And while they have Jesus on this trial, some of them slap him, hit him, spit upon him. Now, I can take a lot of things. But you spit on me, we're going to have a problem. That's nasty. But they go from there, they take him to Pilate. Pilate says, this is not my jurisdiction. So Pilate sends him to Herod. And Herod is amused by him, but he's like, meh, it's not mine to worry with. So he goes back to Pilate, and then Pilate examines him again and talks to him. And he's like, there's really nothing that this guy has done. Really, it's, it's an internal dispute that Rome doesn't have any business mitigating one way or the other. So he sends Jesus to be scourged. A couple weeks ago, I described that, and I'll describe it again for those who may not be aware. When a person was taken to be scourged, more often than not, historically, they were completely naked, and they would be fastened to this post, sometimes uh, by this way, their arms this way, and they would be forced onto their knees. Now, the Roman lictor, was the guy who had this, what they call the cat of nine tails, had a handle and nine leather straps that hung down from that handle. And within those straps, you have shards of bone, you have metal, sometimes teeth, sometimes a metal ball that was wrapped tightly, and the entire purpose was to inflict bodily harm. The Romans were professionals at torture and at killing. And they would have struck Jesus probably 30 plus times. And sometimes when you would scourge a person, sometimes that metal or those shards of bone would get stuck 
Now, they didn't walk up and go, oh, let me get that out. They would just yank it out, which only causes more damage. So you've got a guy who is under immense mental stress, whose skin is already soft. Now he's losing blood. Now he's dehydrating, probably going into hypovolemic shock. His kidneys are no longer producing urine, which is indicative of getting near kidney failure. And on top of that, he's being beaten unjustly. Well, then, as things continue on, I remember reading one account of a fourth century historian and his description of a scourging as he witnessed it. He said that the vein and the sinews of the person were bare for all to see. And even part of the skeletal system was seen because of this punishment. This is what Jesus went through. Then they take him and they finally decide we're going to crucify him. And he carries that cross beam because the vertical beam of the cross was often set at a crucifixion site. So you take into account how dehydrated, the loss of blood, how weak he is, even just carrying that cross beam, you understand why as he goes along that road, he falls beneath its weight. And so they conscript someone to help him, Simon, to carry his cross the rest of the way. And once they get him up there, there's in the hand, I think they call it the median nerve. Can you conf- Pat, can you confirm the median nerve? Does that sound about right? Yeah, so apparently when you hit this nerve, hammering those nails through the arm, you get a shooting pain all the way up your arm. And then when they, they hit this, a, a similar type of nerve, when they cross the feet and hammer that nail into the feet. And then on top of that, they elevate him on that cross. And while he's up on that cross, he's fighting to breathe. And the only way that he can breathe is he has to pull up with his arms or push up with his feet because his body is like this. His rib cage is on his lungs and he's just trying to get breath. If you remember in John's gospel, when the thieves on the cross, Jesus had just died and the sun was going down the way that they made them die quicker, they broke their legs. Because when you break their legs, they can no longer push up to breathe. And uh, uh, effectively, the person suffocates. I'm telling you, the Romans were brutal. And I tell you all that mainly so that you don't forget that what Jesus was willing to suffer for us all, we read in the Bible, oh, he was scourged, he was crucified. There was a lot more to it than just those words. And if we do not understand everything that he went through, we cannot appreciate the sacrifice he made for us. And he doesn't ask a lot of us. He asks us to have faith and to follow him. And those who lived in those early centuries, they did so drinking from the same cup of, of wrath that he himself drank from. And you know, Christians... Sometimes we can be pretty sorry. We make any small little excuse to not. To not go to church, to not pray regularly, to not read script, whatever it is. Anything that we do to follow the Lord, more often than not, we find an excuse not to. Do not forget 
what he did for you and me. And if we can appreciate that, and as a return of love, show him our obedience, show him our faith, live for him because he died a brutal death for us, then do we really even have faith? As the sun went down on that Friday, they were given the body of Jesus. Now imagine they were expecting this Messiah, this anointed, to be the one that would raise up the armies of God and expel the heathens from God's land and establish the kingdom forever. But they're looking for an earthly kingdom. And Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight. So the sun goes down, they have the body of Jesus, and they use a borrowed tomb to put him in that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. They put him in that tomb, they roll that stone before it, the officials do, they even mark it. And the disciples in the meantime, they're supposed to observe the Sabbath. Sundown Friday begins the Sabbath and it lasts till sundown Saturday. Probably the worst Sabbath that they ever experienced. Their hope was dashed. The one in whom they placed their hope was dead. As we think about our trials and difficulties. Let's remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If I were to put it another way, Paul would say, whatever you're going through, Remember what we will have. Whatever you're going through, it's light in comparison to what is to come. You can make it. Don't give up. And what they didn't know as the Sabbath began and as it ended, what they didn't know is what would happen on Sunday. And so Sunday, the, the, the women go to the tomb. They're expecting, with all the fragrances, fragrances they have, they're expecting to anoint the body of the Lord and do more official uh, funerary preparations because they weren't able to do that because of how things panned out. But they go and they notice the stone is rolled away and they walk in and they see that there's no body. And then the angel appears why do you look for him here? Christos Anesti, Christ has risen. So they go back and they tell everybody, and nobody believes the women, of course. Uh, so they all have to run there and they get there. Halitos Anesti, indeed he has risen. Andrew Murray wrote this. He says, when a soldier bows to his general or a scholar to his teacher, he is yielding his will he gives himself to the rule and mastery of the power of another. Christ did that. He said he came not to do his own will, but to do his Father's will. In Gethsemane, he said, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. On the cross, he suffered what had been settled in Gethsemane. He yielded his life to God and thereby taught us that the only thing worth living 
for is a life yielded to God even unto the point of death. If you are controlling your life and spending it on yourself even partly, you are abusing it and taking it away from God's original purpose. Learn from Christ that the beauty and purpose of having life is so that you can surrender it to God and then allow Him to fill it with glory. I thought that was a wonderful line. Just as they were given a new reality on Sunday, I would say to you, when you go through tough times, repeat this to yourself, Sunday is coming. The bleakness and the darkness of Good Friday or that Sabbath that followed, horrible. But Sunday is coming. The trials and the tribulations of this life that people face are dark and gloomy and discouraging, but Sunday is coming. It will not be like this forever. Thank God. I want to close with the word of a friend of mine. Before I do, I want to make you aware that as we are about to stand and sing in a minute, uh, if anyone wishes to publicly profess their faith in Jesus, if you've never done so before, to confess that He is the Son of God and you wish to be born anew in the waters of baptism, we'll gladly minister to you in that need. If you're a Christian who wants to grow closer to the Lord, you've not done what you should and you want to be better, we'll pray with you and for you. This is a judgment-free zone. A lot of people, when they think about churches, they think negatively, and maybe you've had negative experiences, and many of us have. But I like to remind folks that the school, uh, school the, the church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for saints. One person once said, a saint is a sinner who never gave up. I really like that. I would add to that if you're one who's weighed down by the burdens of life and you're just struggling to keep your head above water and you want prayer, we'll pray for you. An elder will be standing there and there and I'll be here as well. If we can minister to you, we'll definitely do everything that we can. Here's what I want to leave you with. A friend of mine, Michael is his name, several years ago, his infant son suddenly died. And I want to read to you some words of reflection that he wrote not long after that day. If an empty tomb does not excite you, you've never wept beside a grave. Think about that. If an empty tomb does not excite you, you've never wept beside a grave. Let's pray together. Our Father, none of us are good. None of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. No, not one. But for we who have faith in Jesus the Christ, you have imputed to him through your grace and mercy his righteousness to us. You have forgiven us of all our trespasses. Though we still struggle with temptations, we still struggle with matters of this world, we, we pray that we'll do our best, that we'll continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, for those that are not saved, I pray that their hearts will be pricked, that they would obey the gospel. For the Christian, Father, who has not been faithful to you, I pray, Father, that they would repent and receive the love and the mercy that you so desperately want to give to us all. Be with us and bless us. Forgive us our trespasses. Bless those who are going through hard times. But may we all surrender as Jesus did. Surrender fully to your will, 
knowing that something far greater is coming, knowing that no matter how gloomy the day is, Sunday is coming. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.